welcome to A Journey to Inner Wisdom. I'm Crystal Cotto Sullivan and your host of this podcast. I'm going to talk about the many facets of the journey to inner wisdom. As with any journey, there are many ways to get to where we're going. In this journey, there are many tools available to guide us on the journey, as well as people who can guide and mentor us. I'm going to talk about the ABCs of a journey to inner wisdom. From my perspective, awareness, beliefs, curiosity and creativity, discernment and direction, Enneagram and energy, focus, flow and flourish, and gratitude, generosity and grace. Well, that kind of looks like the A, B, C, D, E, F, Gs of a journey to inner wisdom. And I'm sure as we carry on, as I carry on, I will add more to those ABCs. From time to time, I will invite guests to join the conversation and to share their journeys and the tools and guides who journeyed with them. And you will hear about my ongoing journey as well. I hope you will join me for this adventure. Episode four, past, present, present, future, present, future. I know it kind of sounds like an ESL class, doesn't it? Living in the present, creating the present from the future rather than from the past. Last episode, I talked about uh, private logic or limiting beliefs or mistaken logic or subjective perception. There are different ways that we can describe what that, um, those limiting beliefs are and, and how we can name them. I'm doing two podcasts because I think it's very important to work on our private logic, bringing it to consciousness in order to travel the journey to inner wisdom. It's the first step to becoming aware of how we live a past present life. I've noticed a lot of people are talking about limiting beliefs these days, or maybe it's because I'm, I am as well, and I'm noticing it more. It's like buying a new red car and suddenly you see red cars everywhere. Our energy follows our thoughts, which is why it's so important to know where our thoughts are coming from. Our thoughts give life to our private logic. And maybe it's because it's so important to pay attention to our private logic and stop living from these beliefs. I was thinking in images the other day and I saw a file cabinet with three drawers. The top drawer contained all of our consciousness, mental, physical, emotional, and spiritual, easily accessible, our senses, our subjective uh, approach to life or perception that is conscious and not hard to find. The middle drawer contains all of the stuff that we could access easily as needed, different skills, habits, facts, memories, stories, emotions, etc. And then there's the bottom drawer. It has all the parts that we've filed away for a variety of reasons. It's not important. It's too painful. It's embarrassing. It's from another lifetime, another chapter of my life, disappointments, failures, etc. You will also find in this drawer conditioning files, family expectations, social pressures, religious pressures, media, rules you live by, whether they make sense or not, and much more. All of these impacting our private logic. Our private logic resides in this drawer because we are not even conscious that we have a subjective belief system that tints our perception of ourselves, of others, relationships, our world, work, money, love, sex, parenting. It's an epic list. And it rules our day-to-day interactions, decisions, and attitude towards ourselves and the world around us. 
as I said last episode, pulling this file from the bottom drawer to the top drawer is not always an easy task or a simple task. We deny that we have such a drawer in our file cabinet. We justify the way we move through life, despite stumbling sometimes and wondering, where did that come from? Let me tell you something about my private logic. When I was in my early 40s, I did some work on uncovering my private logic. An early memory uncovered an interesting belief I had about myself. I was in grade three, I was eight years old, and the teacher gave us homework to write about how the tractor had improved the work of horses. I had no idea what the teacher wanted me to do. I went home and asked my mom. She didn't know either. I looked in the encyclopedia that my parents had gotten for us. I wrote one sentence. In school a few days later, the teacher read the marks and I got zero and she left. I was so embarrassed at eight years old. I must have been beet red and I was warm. I wanted to cry. I decided then and there that I must be stupid. And I recall the teacher used that word. So I spent a lot of my life trying to prove that I was smart. Once I realized this, I was also able to see that this experience was also a gift as I love to learn and may not have embraced learning so vigorously except that I had this experience. I didn't like that I didn't feel smart, but I also realized at that point that it was just a subjective perception. Who knows what was going on for this teacher? I, I don't know, but I'm not stupid. <laughs> I realized that when I was in my early 40s. But education was not a value in my family. So my dad finished grade eight, my mom finished high school and went to secretarial school and briefly worked as a secretary. That is what she wanted me to do rather than go to university. So our private logic, once, once uncovered, can be full of revelations about who we are and what we perceive about ourselves. Best-selling author Carolyn Mace talks about, being, uh, about people being under a spell. And a spell is a thought form, like private logic, uh, or a perception, or an illusion. She talks about each of us living in our own reality, which is our private logic. This would be our subjective perception. We need to realize that we are not the center of the universe. So ask yourself, what rules have you created in your life? And those rules come from your private logic, as well as other things in your life. But a lot of it is linked to your private logic. So most rules start with, I must, I need to, I need, I have to. If I don't, I demand. So for example, I must walk 10,000 steps before I have a treat. I need to take care of. I need so many hours of sleep. I have to be prepared for anything. If I don't plan the family gathering, no one will. That's actually one of mine. I demand respect from. So ask yourself, what are your rules around money, around work, about leisure time, parenting, retirement, all of the things that we've been talking about that impact, have an impact, that are impacted by our private logic. 
These rules re will reveal your underlying patterns of beliefs that may be holding you back in some area of your life. I think you're getting the idea. Let's go a bit deeper with these questions. If you're ready to recall, release, and recreate a new way of being, I want you to ask yourself, what do I believe about myself? What kind of a person am I? What do I believe about men, women, relationships, work, money, love, sex, the world, parenting, play, religion, business, education, health, spirituality, the list goes on. Climate change, the universe, the earth, the ocean. What do you believe about anything? And what does it reveal about your private logic? When you answer these questions, I want you to notice the patterns that begin to emerge from your answers. Dr. Joe Dispenza in his book, Breaking the Habit, of being yourself states, when you think from your past memories, you can only create past experiences. As all of the knowns in your life cause your brain to think and feel in familiar ways, thus creating knowable outcomes, you continually reaffirm your life as you know it. And since your brain is equal to your environment, then each morning, your senses plug you into the same reality and initiate the same stream of consciousness. So we repeat the past over and over. Recently, I came across the allegory, Plato's Cave. You may have heard of it. Um, I, I couldn't remember hearing about it from university, but um, it kind of was a, a cool allegory that I think is a great example of how our perception and private logic keeps us hostage at times. So here it is briefly and redacted. Some people were in a cave and they thought they were trapped. They were facing the back wall of the cave and there was a fire behind their backs. They saw people moving on the back wall, which was their shadow. All of these shadows were back there and they were frightened and would not take their eyes off the wall for fear of being hurt. Just behind them was an opening of the cave, but they would not look. And so they could not see that if they changed their perspective, they could walk away. I think you can see how subjective <laughs> perception keeps us trapped. For centuries, we believed that the earth was the center of the universe. Galileo was excommunicated when he made it known that the sun is the center of our galaxy. And how many more times have we had to change our perspective as science reveals more truths about the universe? like quantum physics. We'll talk about that more later. I want to read an excerpt from Owen O'Kane's new book, 10 Times Happier. I just found this today, and it's a great example of a modern day Plato's cave. Our life unfolds depending on where we focus our thoughts and energy. So before I read it, I'm just gonna have a little drink of this lovely chai. I'm on a chai kick. Oh, so delish. So here's his story. It was, a, it was week four of a 12-week group program for 10 very depressed clients. I was a newly qualified therapist in the early days of my career. I had a nice circle of chairs set up and a scented candle burning, and I was even wearing my therapist cardigan. What could go wrong? In short, everything. 
All of the clients in the group were angry, frustrated, and disillusioned with everything, and that included me. I was stuck, and they were stuck. The only comfort in the room was the wafting smell of lavender and ginger candle. Suddenly, one of the participants, Angela, a recently divorced mom of two young children, declared, therapy is bullshit. All we do is sit and complain. There was a rapturous applause from the group, and there it was, my therapist light bulb moment. I had an intuitive urge to ask everyone in the group to stand up, which I did. In truth, I wasn't sure what I was going to do with them, but I knew I had to do something. I had to think on my feet, knowing that the hokey cokey, that's UK for hokey pokey, or a group hug wasn't going to cut it in this instance. Trust me, 10 angry, depressed clients are not an easy audience. And I momentarily felt like I was in the lion's den. And something quite magical happened. As the group stood up, they suddenly quietened and a new mood of curiosity entered the room. Doing what any therapist would do, I commented on the change of atmosphere. A reply soon followed from Angela. Well, at least now we're doing something to get out of this mess. It was doing something that opened the door to new possibilities. More quick thinking was required on my part. I realized the only props I had in the room were a window looking out onto a nice view of some trees and a dark crumbling wall on the other side of the room. I decided these two polar opposite views would be my tools. The window would represent a future that looked more hopeful and the dark wall would represent all the difficulties in the past that helped maintain depression. I asked the entire group to form a line while I explained to them what the window and the wall represented. Then I asked them to turn towards the side of the room that represented what they would like therapy to focus on. Almost perfectly synchronized, they all turned towards the window. There was silence as they looked out onto the trees and a tangible sense of calm entered the room. I then asked them where they felt their attention was focused most of the time in everyday life. Again, perfectly synchronized, without hesitancy, they all turned towards the wall. None of the group said anything as they continued to stare at the wall. After a moment's silence, I asked a simple question. What do you think might be the problem with spending a lot of time focused on the wall? This time the reply came from John, a 24-year-old who rarely spoke in the group. John's career as a professional sportsman had ended suddenly after an accident caused serious injuries. He felt hopeless and was struggling to move forward with his life. He gently said, if I stay stuck looking at this wall, I have my back turned to the future. And at this moment, amazingly, everyone independently, unprompted, turned back towards the window. Some slowly, some reluctantly, and some more deliberately. This was our focus for the remaining weeks. Each week, the atmosphere in the room lightened, laughter increased, and at the final session, everyone in the group brought an item that would remind them of the process. I was struck most by one woman, Jean, who brought a blank white sheet. She held it up and said, I've brought this today because I have a chance to write a new, more hopeful story.
So I wanted to comment after reading that passage from John O'Kane's book. I want to comment on uh, manifesting um, because manifesting is about creating our future, future reality. One of the reasons I think that manifesting exercises may not work is because we have not cleared our subjective perception, our private logic in order to create a new subjective perception, or we could call it a new playbook. When we clear our private logic and create or reinvent our subjective perception, we can then look forward into the future and create our transitions rather than reliving our past in the present. So be careful here because there's also the pitfall of focusing too much on the future that we miss the moment, the now that I spoke about in episode two which is fleeting and really the now is where we want to be. That is what mindfulness is all about, being in the here and now. Our default is to plan so much because we want to be in control. But can we ever be in control? That's surely an illusion. Joe Dispenza talks about living in the future present, which is where O'Kane took his group. They lived in hope of the future by being present to the moment, the now. Living in the future keeps us detached from the present moment and the experience it gives us. So just living in the future, planning the future, anticipating the future. We don't want to do that, but we want to, we want to have a sense of where we are going in the future with a clear slate. So let's begin to transition from past present living to the now with the future present guiding us, not ruling us. In the next episode, I will focus on curiosity and creativity. We will explore how curiosity can assist our journey to awareness and help us uncover our private logic. And I haven't talked about wisdom yet, so I will delve into that topic as well and put all of this into, the bigger, into a bigger context. And we will continue to see the interconnectedness of all our ABCs of a journey to inner wisdom. Thanks for joining me today. Talk to you soon.